And in the end, the thing that perhaps seems obvious after you put it on the table and common sense after you put it on the table, but is not so obvious until we do that, is how much who you are as a human being impacts the effectiveness as a leader. Hey there and welcome to Lead with Impact. I hope you are doing really, really well and I'm excited to have you here. Today we're digging into one of my favorite topics. You know what it is. We are going to be talking about leadership. I'm going to be having a conversation about leadership with Tim Spiker. Tim is the founder of the Aperio and the Who Not What Principle, a profound and research-based truth that has powered 15 years of leadership success. Tim's book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, explores who, not what in depth, inviting readers into a journey that can truly change the way they lead from the inside out. I have been looking forward to this for a while. I have read Tim's book. It is really, really good. And I think there are a lot of similarities in our viewpoints and in our experiences, coaching others on leadership, and helping others to be better. So I can't wait to have this conversation and see where it goes. In the meantime, if you like this episode or any of the past ones, if you have a moment, if you could subscribe and or like or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, any of the other major podcast providers, that would be much appreciated and would help us keep creating new episodes for you. So now that that's out of the way, let's start thinking about leadership. Let's see what we can dig into with Tim Spiker. Tim, welcome to Lead with Impact. Really excited to talk with you. Brian, thanks for having me. Excited to get a chance to uh, talk with you and your listeners. I was just reading your book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, and I love Thank it. You. It's an amazing book. So. Could you tell me a little bit about the journey to creating this great resource? Sure. About 20 years ago, I was told what I, at this point in life, called the greatest lie that I've ever been told. And that's how I ended up in this line of work. I was waiting tables in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, in the, in the center of the United States here for any international listeners. And... I had a colleague, another person who was also waiting tables, who invited me to an open house for a marketing company. And I was about to start my, my graduate business studies and marketing was going to be an area of focus. So she had my interest there. Also, I was at a time of life when a free meal was really appealing. I was pretty sure there was going to be some free food there. So between those two things, I was there. And when I got to the open house for the marketing company, I figured there'd be a little bit of a presentation and there was, and the only seat available when I got there was right in the middle of the room. And that turned out to be, you know, in the, in the aspects of life of things we can't plan that turn out to be important. This is, this is one of them because they got about three minutes into the presentation 
And at that point, Brian, that's when I learned what an open house for a marketing company actually is. <laughs> an open house for a marketing <laughs> company in this instance was a recruiting meeting for a multi-level marketing company that was selling water purifiers. <laughs> and now I get, oh, open house for a marketing company. <laughs> now now I get it. And, and I have... Nothing against MLMs. I know a lot of people have had great uh, blessings from them, but I just didn't have any interest in selling water purifiers to my family and friends. So I had a choice. And this is where being stuck in the middle of the room comes into play. Do I get up in the middle of the presentation, essentially make a scene, interrupt the presentation, or do I just stick it out, wait for the break, grab my, grab my sandwich and, and make a dash for it? And, uh, <laughs> I decided that I didn't want to interrupt what was going on. So I waited. And that's when it happened. They started talking about what does it mean to be an employee? And it was like a dark cloud of doom and gloom entered from the back of the room. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, it was, it was awful as people talked about what it meant to be led. And I didn't hear another thing in the presentation that that the person up front became like Charlie Brown's teacher to me. And I just sat there and thought, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, being led doesn't have to come with all this pain. I mean, if we were leading the way we're actually capable of, when somebody were to ask, hey, Tim, what's it like to work for Brian? Well, you, you can't believe what an incredible blessing it is to me. You can't believe how I'm being stretched and grown. I, I can't believe how, how we're producing results. I can't believe how my family is being considered. And that could be the answer when somebody says, what is it like to follow somebody? But that night, that was not the answer. It was the dead opposite of that. And so that I walked out of it. I did, I did grab a sandwich and <laughs> at the break. And, and when I left there, I just decided that night that I was going to start interviewing people that I had access to about leadership. And that was 20 years ago. Those interviews led to uh, a lot more learning. I was very naive when I first started, but I learned a lot from those people. I finished every interview with the same question, who else should I talk to? And they would give me two or three names and I'd call up yeah, you know, Jerome. Hey, Jerome, you don't know me, but Brian said I should give you a call. Oh, yeah, Brian. And every single person said yes. And so I just started down this road of interviewing as many people as I could about leadership. Eventually went into, got a job in leadership consulting much earlier in life than I had expected to. And that passion has just continued on to this day. So that's that's how I ended up in the, in this business. I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably impossible, but if you had to summarize those 20 years, I'm sure you probably would say, well, read the book, and that'd be a good <laughs> That's summary. That's okay. <laughs> but for the sake of our podcast, yeah. like for us to get really to the juice of what you learned and what your message is, because slight segue, I, I agree 100%. And the problem I think is, a lot of people instinctually have been told what it means to be a good leader, and they instinctually know the things they should be doing, the tactics. Yeah. I think that knowledge is not hard to find if you're looking mm -hmm. for it, but nobody's doing it. Very few people are doing it. And the, you and I both know the vast majority of the workforce is yeah. miserable. So what really makes the difference in creating an environment like the one you discussed? Well, you know, with the primary 
research and message that we share in the book. I didn't start out knowing that. I didn't start out with a hypothesis that was in, in that direction. And, and in fact, it's one of my favorite parts of the story is while I may have been passionate about leadership, the primary, the primary data that we were able to be a part of and now have seen replicated in other organizations that are reputable, we stumbled across by accident. And so the, I think the biggest summary point for people to understand is in the space of long-term leadership success. And I say long-term because short-term, there's a lot. I mean, if I'm following you, Brian, and you pull out a baseball bat and say, you're going to do this, great chance I'm going to do it. Like, whatever, tell me what to do. I'd prefer to not be hit with the baseball bat. That's short-term. Long-term, talent has options. Long-term, the people that we want to be leading have the chance to go other places. And so all the things that we talk about are about that long-term leadership success, And in the end, the thing that perhaps seems obvious after you put it on the table and common sense after you put it on the table, but is not so obvious until we do that, is how much who you are as a human being impacts the effectiveness as a leader. So how well-developed you are as a human being and and well-developed incidentally, this is, I think a lot of people scream in a leadership space about character and, and character is important. But being a well-developed person is a whole lot more than just having good character. That's part of it. And so ultimately, what is it? What does it mean to be a well-developed person? And how ultimately does that impact our effectiveness as leaders? And ultimately, the bottom lines of the organizations that we're leading. So that is the that is the big, huge takeaway for me from the last twenty years: is how do we help people become well? We call them who, who not what. How do we help them become well-developed who's? I love that. One of the sayings that I use a lot is that mindset is greater than tactics. Yes. Because the tactics by themselves, maybe anybody can do them, but when you're doing them with the wrong attitude or the wrong mindset, or you're doing them grudgingly, they just don't work as well. And especially to your point, they're not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I I think in a way where I'm saying a similar thing to what you're probably saying more eloquently is that being that well-developed person puts you in a place to do the tactics that, well. Oh, that's 100%. And, and that's one of the things that we try to help people understand. We're, we're not communicating that the traditional what of leadership, the things that we talk around strategy and vision and, and motivation and execution, all of that stuff is important, critically important for leaders to do. But the effectiveness of those things is deeply and statistically significantly impacted by how well developed you are. It's kind of the the old adage around, you know, the the scalpel in the hands of a surgeon is different than the scalpel in the hands of a thief. And and so the tactics can be used by well developed well developed people and not well developed people and the end result will be wildly different because of who they are. Brilliant. Now, let's talk about that term well-developed person, because to me, that seems like it could be a bit of a Rorschach (laughs) test where people hear it and paint their own meaning. For the purpose of this conversation and the purpose of generating great leaders, what does it mean to be a well-developed person? So there there were two major categories when we started looking into this. Initially, the research was, is there a connection between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance? because our clients were asking us these questions. I worked for a boutique consulting firm and we would take people up to the west side of Pikes Peak for a week at a time. Uh, Pikes Peak again, for those that may not be in the US and Colorado here in the central US. 
And so they were asking us, we give them all these assessments and they were asking about connections. And so we had enough data to run the research. And what we, what we found is that there was no meaningful connection between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance. So that was part of the answer that we, we didn't know what we would find. We found nothing. But in the midst of doing that research, the software is great because it'll look for correlations in places where you're not looking. And so what that, what that statistical analysis run by my colleague, Vanessa Kiley, what it found is that within our Leadership 360, which we had at, at that time, we had eight categories that we were looking at around leadership behaviors. And that statistical analysis found that just two of the eight areas were accounting for 77% of the variability on the assessment. So if you just think about a, think about a pizza, Brian, if it's got eight slices, you've, you know that any two slices would be worth one quarter of that pizza, 25%. So any two pieces of influence should be worth 25% of the influence. And instead, the stats showed 77% of the influence. So those two were at three times as important as the other six combined. And what we didn't realize at the time, took a few years to figure it out, but we finally stepped back from it and realized that those two were about who you are as a person and the other six were about what you do. And so ultimately, back to your original question, what do you mean by a well-developed person? It's what's defined by those two areas that are creating all that variability. And those are inwardly sound and others focused. Inwardly sound and others focused. These are the these are the two big prizes when it comes to being an effective leader. All right. So we're going to break that down a little bit more. I, others focused. I use the term people okay. first a lot, but it sounds like maybe am I are we talking about the, the same path? I would guess we're very much in the same in the same lane on that. I'm curious about inwardly okay. sound. All right. So you want to start with that one? Okay. Yes, please. So I'm going to I'm going to read off a bit of a laundry list here because in our work with our clients, we break it down into five and a half areas, and I'll explain the half in a second. So we talk about being secure and settled. So think about it as the opposite of being insecure. Now, when I put out to folks, anybody have had the chance to to follow an insecure leader? Usually met by collective groan, <laughs> like. Oh my goodness, that was the worst five years of my life. Like in, following insecure leaders is not only painful for followers, but it's extremely ineffective from, from getting the right things done. We are routinely distracted from even the strategic things we should be doing when, we, when we're following insecure leaders. So that's the first one. Second one, not that complicated of an idea, but it's really important, is self-aware. Do you understand who you are, what you bring to the table? And even more so, do you understand how you're impacting others? Again, collective grown for people who have followed self-unaware leaders. Principle. So this is where the character part comes in that I mentioned earlier. It is important because it's, it's, it's pivotal to trust. So when we talk about, you know, the word that we use is, are you a principled leader? Then we talk about being holistically healthy. So what does it mean to have, uh, what does it mean to have health across the spectrum, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, physically, even financially. You can think about the impact is when I'm under great financial strain in my personal life, how does that bleed out into other ways of thinking and behaving? So holistically healthy means that I am, I am managing the, the whole of my life. And then finally, purposeful. What does it mean? And I'm not talking about corporate purpose here. I'm talking about when I put my feet on the floor in the morning and start to begin to take those first breaths of the day, am I clear about why I'm here and what I'm doing? 
Have I thought about that? And I put some intentionality to that. And then finally, the half that I've said five and a half, the half is emotionally mature. And the reason there's a half is because for us, emotionally mature has both a foot and inwardly sound and others focus. So we kind of say, hey, it's it's five and a half at each one. So that's how we talk about being inwardly sound. I love that. More questions, yeah, no, though. Come on. So if Tim's working with a leader, Tim gets called into yeah. a company, CEO says, I need yeah. some help. Tim's a leadership coach. He's going to let me lead. And then Tim works his magic and comes back to Mr. or Mrs. CEO and says, guess what? You're not inwardly yeah. sound. Where does that start? Where does Tim stop being a leadership coach and start being a coach that's helping them fix these things in their life that they might not have even thought applied to their leadership? Well, one of the things that's really great about leadership development, and, and you may have experienced this in your work as well, is that the person who's wanting growth and development is always with the person who's wanting growth and development. And what I mean is, we want to equip people to be more aware of themselves in the midst of all this. And so if part of the exercise is to frankly just hold up a mirror with this research and with, with these definitions and have somebody say, do I think that is true of me? Now, there are things that are very difficult to see in the mirror. So that doesn't, you know, that doesn't ultimately check the box perfectly around that. But that's one of the things that we do is we want to help people begin to get familiar with these ideas, conscious, you know, we want to get into, hey, if we're not competent here, we want to get into that conscious incompetence first. And so part of that mm -hmm. is, is going down that path and challenging people, frankly. Let's, here are, you know, here are eight different ideas about how to be, that's a really important word for us, how to be a more secure and settled leader, let's take a look at those things and see what difference they might make for you. So we do a lot of practice. And what I mean by that is it's a regular, like we want to use our clients' everyday leadership experiences. So Tuesday at 7.37, when they're early at the office and they bump into somebody in the hallway, that's a moment for development, as is every other moment. And so mm -hmm. the idea here is ultimately Yes, initially we're educating, but I will tell you, Brian, that I I don't have a great love for just educating. I know that sounds a little crazy, but but frankly, somebody can like, okay, read the book, you've got the research, you've got the basic ideas. What we're trying to do is actually help people take steps in becoming more well-developed people. And that requires hard work. That requires disciplines. And so we're there to create that structure now, occasionally you get in, you, you get to a spot where it doesn't happen often, but as people begin to, you know, shine up the mirror a little bit, occasionally they find some things that need a little more professional help than, than what I am personally trained to do from a, from a counseling or a therapy standpoint. And at that point we say, hey, look, this is awesome. You're taking a look at something that is influencing the way you interact with everybody let's get some professional help in this space because you've got greater health ahead of you. And in that case, we can encourage them to get that. Now I'll say that doesn't happen that often, but I'm very aware that as we introduce how these things influence leadership, that there's a spot where sometimes a professional needs to come in and walk that next step with that person. So we want to equip them to be able to do a lot of the work on their own, essentially teach somebody how to fish but we first have to show them, you know, here's how you bait the hook. Here's what a fish look like. And we need to do that initially. We help them do it. And then occasionally in some, in some rare instances, we get some other help from the outside. But that's what the process looks like in general. 
It goes back to that whole principle, I think, that as a coach, you're a catalyst, but not the change agent. Yep. So you're shining the light. You can't make somebody work on themselves, but you're showing them the and, path. And there are times, I will tell you, that are, you know it's pretty frustrating where you see all kinds of potential for somebody, but you want it more than they do. And at that point, if that's the story that you're seeing, and not in one moment, but consistently over time, you'd be like, you know what? You should probably not work with us anymore because you're wasting your money. Um, don't waste your money. You have to be willing to dig in. And if this is a waste of time or it simply can't get onto your priority list right now, and, and that happens to a lot of us uh, around a lot of dis dis different disciplines. But ultimately, sometimes the right choice is now is not the right time because you're not ready to do the work. My desire for people to be great leaders and produce great results is never enough. They have to want it because it's hard work. And that could be painful. I think we've all had that happen. These people in positions, again, in a position of leadership or coaching leaders where you see oh, yeah. the end result more clearly than they do. And just, yes. come on, just oh, do you're it. right there. If you would just, if you just let go of the ego a little bit, you would be amazed at what would happen next. And, and they're not able to, or they're not willing to. Sometimes that's the case. Yeah. My next question revolves around the ego and the self-awareness. And I think you've already answered this a little bit, but as I think about my work and the work of a lot of other people who do leadership coaching and leadership development, what initially makes people aware that they want to coach, in my experience, is not necessarily that they see something wrong in themselves, but they're not getting the results from their team. So they know that people around them could be achieving more and they're not. So that makes them say, maybe I need some coaching. But I guess my question is, can that be hard to give them the message that yes, you, your company isn't doing what it should be, your team isn't doing what they should be because of you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the, ones who, you're the one who has to change, maybe not yeah. solely, but the fact that, again, that self-awareness and that need to change what they've been doing possibly for a long time. You know, we do a little bit of work with individuals, but primarily we're working with leadership teams or large groups gotcha. of leaderships and or leaders and organizations. And so what we have a great opportunity to do is put the research and truth in front of people and allow them to do some of that comparison. And so if I were to say to somebody, all right, inwardly sound and others focused, that's 77% of leadership. Now, here's what we mean. And we walk through all the things we were just talking about a moment ago around self-awareness and, and the other things around, excuse me, around inwardly sound and the other aspects around others focused. And we say, okay, take a look at, your, at the organization. Tell me, as we look at what's in Inwardly Sound and Others Focused, how much of your leadership development budget for time and money and energy is going towards developing Inwardly Sound and Others Focused leaders? And the answer is usually something less than 5%. But I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm fine to point it out, but I'm kind of an equal opportunity offender. What I want to do is I want to put the research out. I want to give some handles to it so people can, can, can then use it. And ultimately, if, if you do the math and say, we're doing very little of this, then my response is, hey, it's great to know that rather than to not know that. And let's figure out what some reasonable next steps are. But ultimately, we're presenting what the research has shown. And if somebody wants to say, well, I think that's garbage, my response would be, 
great. Tell me, tell me about which part is garbage. I mean, tell me, tell me about which part you see that way. I, I, those are great conversations. Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great and Built the Last and, and numerous other great texts. I, I love his approach to talking about research. He would occasionally have somebody say, you know, I don't, I don't buy into what you've got in, in Good to Great or Built the Last. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think any of that's true. And Jim's response, which I, frankly, I just try to literally just copy it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that there's any plagiarism issue there. But ultimately, he says, look, this is what the research data proved out. This is what it showed. If you don't want to do things that way, no problem. Like, that's totally your call. If you go another direction or if you go in the opposite direction, I don't wish you ill. I don't want you to be unsuccessful. If you want to try things and ignore that and go a different way, absolutely go for it. I, I hope it turns out for you. I'm just telling you what the data shows. And, and I'm an engineer by education. So I really like data. I really like when there is some quantitative numbers to back up the things that we're talking about. And, and again, back to how this story initially evolved, it wasn't we had an idea and then we found numbers to support it. We had a different idea and the numbers showed up and told us where to look. And we didn't even have that hypothesis. So I just would point people to the research. And there are sometimes people don't, they don't have a research reason. I just emotionally don't like it. And to which I say, okay, like, you know, uh, I would try to convince you otherwise, but it's, this isn't a numeric conversation. This is, I, and I can't necessarily sway your emotions. I might try to, but ultimately, you know, you give each person the opportunity. So back to your, back to your original question, what is it like to kind of confront somebody? I just let the data and the research and the reality of it, I just create space for that to do the speaking. And ultimately, it's like, it's like a magnet, Brian. And, and what we have to remember is sometimes a magnet repels. And if somebody says, I hear this message and I'm running the other way, I say, look, okay, you would probably hate working with us <laughs> if, if, that's, if that's the way you feel about it. But there's plenty of people who see the connection, not only in the research, but in their own lives, who say, oh, that is making sense of something that I have sensed my entire career. Let's talk more. And so we just... We just, and we try to do it with compassion. Like, look, I'm, I'm broken. You're broken. Everybody's broken in some way. So if I run into somebody who's like, hey, you're not the perfect leader, join the club. I mean, none of us are. We all have things to work on. We don't approach the work like we're all perfect. We're approach the work as if we're, we're in the boat rowing with you. Let it, let's help you row that boat. So there's, it's not like, hey, you're messed up. It's we're all messed up. Let's make progress. Brilliant. Now let's talk about the other part of that formula, the others focused. Yeah. And I love your thoughts on this. I think one of the dangers that I've seen with unhealthy cultures, unhealthy organizations, is that I think almost everybody says they are outwardly that they are an others first culture. Nobody like says we reward selfish people here. <laughs> I've yet to see that in a mission yeah. statement but I've seen it in practice a lot. So can you talk maybe about that dichotomy and how that has to change in order to achieve success? Well, probably the, the easiest way to talk about it would be to let's walk through those things in terms of how do we define what does it mean to be an others focused leader? So we'll start with the last one since we've already introduced it. So half of that little, we've got five and a half things here, by the way, in these constructs where you have a chance to develop content, we didn't set out 
to come up with five and a half on each side. Like we didn't say, Hey, there must be 11. And how do we work it out? You know, it was not the tail wagging the dog. It was, Hey, it just happened to be by the time we broke it down, there were five ideas on both sides of the coin and this one that they share. So there's no, uh, we weren't trying to create symmetry. It just turned out that way. So that half of one we mentioned earlier, emotionally mature, really important one. People love to dig into that because they, they very easily see the significance of it. But the other five parts of being others focused are being attentive, curious, empathic, humble, and a Greek word that we use, agapon. And so those are the five pieces that we talk about. You know, if we talk about being attentive, it means essentially not just being so up in your own world all the time that you don't even really notice other people. And we've heard some, some this is going to be super basic, but it's fun when you have people who are willing to kind of air their dirty laundry. We had one leader share with us that prior to our work on attentive, he would routinely have people come in his office, be working on an email and just say, yeah, go ahead. I'm listening. And just continue to type away and type away and type away. Not even like the, the screen isn't even facing the person. The screen is like off to the side and you're talking to the side of somebody's head. And he's saying, I used to do that. And, and we have leaders tell themselves, I'm so busy. I'm so busy that I don't have time to stop typing this email. Or I don't have time to say, hey, I'm in the middle of something. Can we cover that uh, later this afternoon? Which is which is perfectly acceptable in terms of being being attentive. But we 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 have some leaders who the light bulb comes on when you think about well what what does that say relationally to the person? What does that communicate? I, I tell this is where the equal opportunity offender thing comes in. There'll be sometimes people will tell me thinking that their schedule is super special. And I'm just telling you, every leader's busy. <laughs> I don't I mean you're not a special snowflake if you're a busy leader. But I, I say to leaders, look, if you do not have time to be attentive to the people that you're leading, you do not have time to be a good leader. I know you don't want to hear that, but that's that's the truth. So it, sometimes it can be very, very basic. But of course, it all starts with the motive and the heart and what's going on the inside. What do you think about that other person? Are they worth your, if they're not worth your time, then we've got a more fundamental problem. At its heart, isn't it a little bit of a psychological power play? I mean, I know busyness comes into it, but isn't it a little bit of a too yeah. important stuff? Yeah, I mean, easily, yes. And maybe at the person, back to the insecurity, maybe the person I'm telling that to first is myself. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've talked with leaders who are in the executive suite who don't believe that they belong there. And that's not the end of the story, but we need to address that because when you don't believe that you belong in that space, you show up way differently than when you feel like you do. You don't have to try to get your word in because you're trying to justify your existence. You don't have to do kind of self-fulfilling power plays like I'm not even going to look at you because I'm so busy I'm doing this. Like that stuff begins to fade away. So there's a lot connected to that security piece. But, the, you know, the, here we're talking about being others focused. What are the other yeah. parts of being others so, focused? So curious, you can, you can find a boatload of articles from HBR and otherwise talking about intellectual curiosity, and that's part of it. But the problem is that most of those perspectives of curious, they lack being curious about other people. They lack being curious about other people's ideas and other people's perspectives and even other people's emotions. Like we should really pay attention to emotion when it shows up in the workplace because that's communicating something. 
Now, it can communicate a lot of different things, depending on the circumstance, but we need to be curious. When we see somebody, man, you got really excited about us making that sale, like more so than I would have expected. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Like, are we bringing that kind of curiosity? And, and at times, there are leaders, I can think of one in particular, who had a lot of intellectual curiosity, or even the curiosity that shows up a little bit like the Spanish Inquisition. Like, like let's not fool ourselves. Why did you do that? Like, that's not actually a statement. <laughs> that's not, it might have ended with a question mark, but, but that's not curious. No, it means to really be not only intellectually curious, but you want to hear from others. You're interested in their ideas and their perspectives. Empathic is kind of the next step that really builds off of curiosity, which is I understand more about you, but now I'm willing to put my feet in your shoes. I'm willing to not only try to understand you, but now I'm doing this really, this next thing that's really hard, which is I want to feel what you're feeling. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you. It's nothing about that. It's a how can I relate to your circumstance? And as leaders, it's really easy for us to forget things like when I was in that position, I didn't have half the information that I do now. What is it like to be two layers lower in the organization and have you know a quarter of the information that I do when I sit in a leadership position? Can I remember? Can I remember what that feels like? Can I remember when the rumors of acquisition were flying around and I didn't know anything and I wondered if six months from now I would have a job and what that felt like pulling in the parking lot every day? Like, can we think about what it feels like to be in other people's shoes? So that's empathic, humble. I mean, we can spend the rest of the time talking about it because it's, it's actually my favorite topic in the midst of all of this. But what does it mean to be self-forgetful, to, to quote an idea by C.S. Lewis? What does it mean to have a, an eagerness to learn from and acknowledge others, an, an eagerness to do that? And what does it mean to have a willingness to see and acknowledge my fault? Again, you're in a leadership position. It's difficult to speak truth to power. And most people are not going to come up to you and say, hey, you messed that up. <laughs> if we're going to be truly humble leaders, what we bring to the table is we're looking for like that deal went south and I got to own my part of it. And now maybe my part's only 2%. What happens to an organization and what happens to a leader, leadership team when the leader says, I could have, I, I, I could have done that better. I didn't, I didn't now hopefully now you're inviting other people to own their part too and to do the same. And then finally, the last one is agapone. Agapone technically translated into English is love. And people get you know a little freaky about that when they're talking about the workplace, but we're talking about a commitment, not so much an emotion. And so when we talk about agapone and the reason we don't use love incidentally is because they're, they're, it's not a good word in English because there are so many different meanings. I love my wife. I love a Snickers. I love baseball. Like these are, we use the same word for all of that, but, but in Greek, we've got more options. And so when we talk about being agapone, we talk about service to and care for others that is selfless, consistent, and unconditional. And so this idea is that, you know, really it's kind of bringing into many of these ideas together that this whole leadership exercise is not just about me. I have power and influence, what am I going to use it for? Simply to enrich myself, or am I going to wield that to consider others? And then here's the crazy thing. When we do that as leaders, we get loyalty and commitment and all kinds of positive engagement 
that produces a better result. So all these things knit together. So that's a that's a that's a lot of different ideas there woven into. So let me let me let me take a breath and and as you can tell, I get excited to talk about these things. Well, I do too. I can, but I do have a couple, at least a couple of questions for you on that. First of all, what's it like to sit in front of a team of people and give them this information? My guess is you probably have some true believers who get it quickly, and then you might have some people who push back a little and say, I don't know if this is really what I want yeah. to do, maybe because of insecurity like you talked about, or who yeah. knows what. And secondly, how do you measure? I'm curious about that. How do you measure agapone, or do we just measure <laughs> results and figure that somehow they've made yeah, the adjustment too. there? Questions. The first one, your example, yeah, it's dead on. There are some people that walk into the room at the start. Usually we've, we've made sure that everybody has read the book before we get started with our clients. And that gives us a, a baseline for either agreeing or disagreeing. But either way, we're all talking about the same thing. And so some people walk in pretty aligned. Other people walk in with, I don't know about this. And then there are occasionally there's a few people that walk in really resistant, but it's not usually about the research. It's usually about something else. I've never really actually had people push back against the research because we help them look at their own lives and they've seen this principle of play over and over again. So there may be some other reasons for pushback, but this is what happens. You know, people, people grow and develop in different ways. Sometimes the belief comes and then the action follows. Sometimes the action goes first and then the belief comes because they see the result of the action. And so regardless of whether somebody comes in like fully on board we're going to help equip them to try some things. You know, we talk about being curious. Dr. Mary Shippey taught me a phrase that's changed my life, both personally and professionally, and that we use in the curious work, which is tell me more about that. Would you say, hey, try this. Use the phrase, tell me more about that 100 times in the next 90 days. And then tell me about two things. Tell me what happens with your interactions with other people. And then also tell me what happens on the inside of you. You can be a complete like, this is all garbage, but that's fine. Try this. Try this and tell me what happens. And so sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes it's the actions that we invite people to try that eventually end up informing who they are. Sometimes they come in, you know, hair on fire, let's get after it. And then we, we give them some opportunities to live those things out. Now, your second question was about measurement. This is hard. And, and I will tell you, you know, we're, we're seven years into our existence as an organization. And because we talk about who and not just actions, we're really talking about what's going on behind the actions. What's the motive and the perspective? And it, it is very difficult to measure. So right now we're engaged with an organization where we're working on how do we want to measure these things? And the challenge is, is particularly with the results part of it that you mentioned is because that's a lagging indicator that sometimes can take quite some time to show up. And so, especially if we've been working on our, our engagements at times can be on the longer end. And so, hey, if we don't, we don't get to the issue of emotionally mature until, you know, partway through the second year, if you were to do a survey with people that are following the person who's working on that and they're, you know, they're a month into working on emotionally mature, there may not be that much difference that's showed up at that point. And frankly, if I've lived life as an emotionally immature leader, even if some positive things have showed up, you're not apt to believe it right away. <laughs> it's going to take, literally, it could take years for you to really buy into that that shift has happened. So we're working with an organization to author leading indicators 
things that we can count on to say, are, is the progress being made until those lagging indicators show what's going on. Now, fortunately in our history as a company, again, in the category of things that I couldn't organize, one of our clients at the vision of an international company, they started working with McKinsey's organizational health index right as we started with them. And Brian, I could not have organized that. I mean, that is like the ideal scenario. And so we worked with them and over the course of five years, they moved from the bottom quartile in OHI to the top quartile in OHI, which has all types of financial accomplishment implications to it. And they did that while we were doing who not what work with them over the course of that time. Now, we weren't the only, they, they were doing some other things. So I'm not claiming all that was a result of us. But the point of that is, is it can, it does eventually show up in the bottom line. It does eventually show up in quantitative numbers, but that can oftentimes take time. And, and, and credit to that organization, by the way, we could drop a lot of ideas that are interesting from research, but if nobody does the work, nothing happens. And so to their credit, they had a bunch of people who dug in and did a lot of meaningful work on this. And ultimately they got a prize at the end of that. So cr credit to them for having created those numbers. I love that. Timeframes, you talked about the fact that it takes a while to see results and the lagging indicators. I know, again, this yeah. is going to, going to be a very subjective question and answer, but how long does it take? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the truth is the classic consulting answer of it depends, <laughs> you know, but to give it a little bit more, uh, a more, a little more meat on the bones in our kind of ideal world, which we don't always get to operate in we like to spend 90 days on each key idea. So if we're talking about attentive, we like to spend 90 days digging in. I mean, think about humble, for example, we'll go to that one. How long does it take me to become a humble human being? Like, you know, roughly a lifetime, but we'll spend 90 days. You know, 90 days sounds like a long time, but then you think about how does it really work in real life? And the business community is what it is. It's, it's constantly demanding that things be faster. And I appreciate that. And so where we can figure out, we do have a, a shortened version where we don't spend 90 days on everything. We'll spend two weeks on a series of things and then spend a number of months picking off a couple of topics to do a deeper dive on. And so that's kind of a, when we have a company that wants to make more of an organizational splash with the idea, but, but isn't able to invest executive level dollars in everybody. And I, and I understand that. We have some truncated versions, but that, that ends up being a little bit more intellectual transfer of knowledge than becoming. And what we're really trying to do is how do we help people become more inwardly sound and others focused? So, so the, the bottom line is we've got 11 topics within inwardly sound and others focus. We have a couple more that we do in worldview. If we go soup to nuts with everything that we do, it can be a four-year engagement. And I know that that really scares. I'm thinking about your listeners. You're like, well, I'm out. You know, it's Here's the thing. You don't have to do four years to get value. You could do 90 days. And we've done that too. Hey, we're going to do a deep dive on Curious. We believe, I had this exact scenario. We believe that our frontline leaders on the shop floor, that they would really benefit, we would benefit, if, even if they just got Curious at a deep level. And so we just worked mm -hmm. with their frontline leaders on Curious for 90 days. And so there are different ways to do it. But as my, my colleague John Ott says, is that uh, development happens over time, not overnight. 
And uh, there are some very small, there are some exceptions to that, but it's extremely small and it usually involves tragedy and we're not in the business of creating tragedy. So by and large, it does take time for these things to develop. And we try to be upfront with our, with our clients about that so that they, they know that this is not going to be like taking the little, you know, the, the matrix pill and now I see everything. I mean, we have it in development. We just haven't figured, you know, we're just we're this close on the note. We're this close on the technology. We just figure out that that little that little blue pill to give. Then, yeah, yeah. So it's probably never going to be that way, and that's a challenge in a world where the technology is moving faster and faster. You know, Google wants to complete my search before I finish typing it in. The reality is, we just have to settle with the idea that human development, in ninety nine point nine percent of cases, doesn't work that way. Agreed. So you mentioned a listener, an executive out there that's hearing this and says, this is interesting. How do I learn more? Where do they go? Well, easy place to find us is at the, T-H-E, onlyleaders.com. And there we've got, you know, very typically we've got an email list and to, to have people be a part of. We're getting ready to actually to put out a discussion guide to go along with the book. So we'll give that free to everybody that, that are on our email list. Fantastic. Thank you for yeah. doing that. And I will put that in the show notes as well. So when you're hearing this, if you want to make life easy, find the show notes and click the link. We'll get you there. Last question I'd like to ask you. I love to have my guests give me what I call their impact statement. So if you had to condense all yeah. of this, the two or three sentences that would be sticky and maybe people would be thinking about for a while, what would that short message be? It would be that three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. Tim, thank you so much for making the time. This has been a real treat. Brian, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.